Welcome back to The Federal Drive with Tom Temin. Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Coast Guard Commandant Admiral Carl Schultz shares with his colleagues at the other military services the need to push for both modernization and readiness. At this week's Sea Air Space Conference, I caught up with Schultz to talk about a range of issues, including a piece of good news, the contract to build a new icebreaker. Well, Tom, it is exciting. A couple of weeks ago today, we awarded a contract to VT Halter, and that is the first polar security cutter. This has been about a decade-long effort in the making here a little bit, so with the support of the administration, bicameral, bipartisan support of the Congress here, we're off to the races. We um, put out about a 749, I think, $0.5 million contract for the first polar security hull, and we're hoping to build uh, exercise options for up to three polar security cutters. I was going to say, this is a multiple ship effort, right, because the competing nations in the Arctic have lots of them. Absolutely. This is, uh, like I said, the first of uh, hopefully three in the polar security class. And, you know, we're, we're informed by the high latitude study of a few years back that talks about the nation need a minimum of six icebreakers. So uh, my current lexicon has been a 631 strategy. Six breakers, a minimum of these three heavy polar security cutters. And then, you know, we'll see where we go on the subsequent three. If we got a hot production line, maybe there's a conversation about keeping it going. Maybe there's a conversation about a medium type breaker. But right now it's the one piece is we just awarded the first one. So we're very excited about that. And is there the yard capacity in the United States to sustain, say, construction of one or more, two or more simultaneously? Well, I think for us, to be frank, Tom, you know, from a budget standpoint, where right. we sit is a, you know, the capital budget for us is about $1.2 billion in the, in the president's ask. You know, Congress has put some additional dollars in the past. I think right now it's let's focus on this first one. We got uh, money in the 20 budget that's obviously uh, in front of the legislative body right now that keeps the program going. The out-year budgets will do some heavy lifting on, 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 you know, production dollars again here. So I'm not so sure multiple builds right now is, uh, is, is really where the conversation is, but we'd certainly welcome that down the road. Well, you have other builds underway for we other do. types of ships We're right now. We're building national security cutters. We're building offshore patrol cutters. Offshore patrol cutters are number one capital effort here. We're hoping to build a program, a record of 25 ships. So we just started cutting steel. Eastern Shipbuilding started, group started cutting steel in January. And then we've got an ongoing program, what we call the fast response cutters. We've accepted 33 of them. Um, the vice commandant just brought into service the uh, Benjamin Bottoms in San Diego here right. on May 2nd. So those ships are doing great things, and uh, the crews are very excited about operating them. And at what point in this acquisition program do you start to feel it in the maintenance program for the older ships? So I'd say we're feeling it already. You know, the, the OPCs, offshore patrol cutters, that, that program record of 25 is going to replace two ship classes. There's what we call the 210 class and the 270-foot medium endurance ship class. 210s, the oldest NAF fleet are 52, 53 years old now, and they'll be in service another 7, 8, 10 years. So that's going to be a 60-year-old ship. The 270s, we started building in the early, mid-80s. You know, those ships are approaching 35 years in some cases. So They'll be 45-plus years. So, you know, these half-centurions, I'm not sure there's a lot of navies, coast guards around the world running ships, you know, half-century long. So those ships bring increasing bills. And the newer ships, they're, they're more capable. They're more sophisticated. We run them with less crews. So to be frank, there's a, you know, some additional costs at running with those. So we've got to keep the operating side of the budget, you know, the maintenance funds. Sure. We absolutely got to lean in on that. And getting back to the uh, polar cutters, that's a ship, but you also have an Arctic strategy that's Correct. under revision. Tell we, us some well, of the we actually, there. We actually just rolled out what we call the Arctic Strategic Outlook. Um, we use a little different term, the initial 2013 Arctic strategy. We've, uh, since in my tenure here, since 1 June, we actually put out a Coast Guard strategic plan for, for 2018 to 2022, my watch. And that is sort of the overarching 
roadmap for the Coast Guard. We're hanging these strategic outlooks. We've got a Maritime Commerce strategic outlook, an Arctic strategic outlook. They hang under that. So all our efforts are sort of guided by the, the, the principal strategy document, and then we go down these channel, Western Hemisphere, et cetera. So that, that, that is on the street now a couple of weeks. It, it frames the changing environment. You know, yesteryear in the 13th strategy, it talked about a peaceful, um, safe, secure Arctic with collaborative behavior. That's still part of the conversation. We'd like the Arctic to stay a peaceful place, rule-based order, but it's it's different. You know, we've got China operating up in the Arctic here the last bunch of years. Um, you know, we're focused on three lines of effort. It's bringing increased capability to the Arctic. It's uh, rules-based order. It's about promoting resiliency and innovation in the Arctic, and all those things, I think, are right in the Coast Guard's wheelhouse. We're speaking with the Coast Guard Commandant, Admiral Carl Schultz, and let's talk about some of the personnel, training, recruitment, and especially retention issues. Sure. You have generally good retention. I think we have the but best there's retention. there's a block in a certain mid-career and female area where you'd like to improve that. Yeah, so let me start with, you know, the numbers are, we in our listed workforce, we retain almost 40%. Our officer workforce, almost 60% to 20 years. The armed services, as of 1 January, under the new blended retirement model, where you don't have to go 20 years to, to be eligible for retirement. I think it's a good thing. I think for the Coast Guard, with high retention, you know, if we're not cognizant of that, you know, we got to recruit, develop, and retain this tremendous workforce in an all-volunteer military. we got to pay some attention to that. You know, the, the operating budget for us being more constrained, those are choices, things like tuition assistance for active duty members. We fund that about 50% of the max that the other services are. That's a competitive disadvantage. Um, housing, we don't. We have geographically dispersed folks in small communities across the country. High cost areas, no big bases. You know, we've got to make sure we're advocating for the, the right housing levels there and get folks in there. So I think staying competitive with people is important. You mentioned uh, the women's issue. So we just competed, completed the women's retention study. Uh, Rand helped us out with that. We contracted with them. You know, what we're seeing is I think our retention, although the highest, is, you know, I got a, a workforce that's about 14.5% women. And as I look across society, society writ large is, is coming to more of a 50-50 model. So if you want to remain the world's best Coast Guard, we've got to recruit more successfully and retain. We need to be an inclusive Coast Guard. You know, women, uh, member, underrepresented minorities need to look up and see folks like them, their gender, their their demographic, social background, they need to look up and say, hey, I can be successful in this Coast Guard. So we're focused on that. I think it's uh, it's not that we have problems, it's that we have opportunities to, to be better. And speaking of the idea of the world of Coast Guards, you have been doing some activity in training Asian Coast Guards. Correct. Guess, pursuant to the projection in some way and, and enlistment of other forces to help U.S. interests in that part of the world. But tell us more about that. What are some of the highlights of it, and sure. including transferring old ships to, I read, Vietnam? Yeah, so if you look at um, the Indo-PACOM part of the world a little bit, we're working with Vietnam on the development of their Coast Guard. They want to increase their Coast Guard fivefold. So we've actually transferred some former high-endurance cutter, 378-foot cutters, to the Vietnamese Navy, um, working with the indo Indonesians. We transferred ships there. Sri Lankan's got a former 378-foot high-endurance cutter, the Sherman. Um, we go over there with, with small training teams. We help them develop their capacity. I've got a national security cutter, and excuse me, I've got a, a medium-endurance cutter, the Thetis, on its way back from the African continent. They were doing a program called AMLEF, the African Maritime Law Enforcement Partnership. How do you help the African sovereign nations develop their own capacity to protect their sovereign interests? You know, look at global 
um, population growth. One in six people today is on the African continent. In 20 years, it's going to be one in four. So how do you help them sustain their, their food interests? China and other nations are fishing their water. So we've got a lot of those places where Coast Guard men and women are building partner capacity. and It all fits into the conversation about you know, this competing powers paradigm. And the Coast Guard has a diversity of missions domestically and overseas, and some are not well understood by the public. But when you look at the national security yeah. situation, and which takes many forms, from drug interdiction to terrorism, what do you see as the big challenges in the next two, three years? So I would say, and Tom, I appreciate your point. I would say we are an armed force first and foremost. We support the DOD combatant commands on a day-to-day -day basis. Five of the six generally on a given day, we've got a Coast Guard footprint, a capability doing things. We support the security of the homeland. We, we enable the economic engine of the nation. 95, 90, 95% of the stuff that we buy in the stores comes in by the ports, 360 seaports. The uh, economic engine, the maritime, is about $5.4 trillion and it's about 30 million jobs, and the Coast Guard enables that. We put out a maritime commerce strategic outlook that talks about the Coast Guard's role. I'm kind of anxious to see where, where the nation goes here on this $2 billion infrastructure bill. How does the Coast Guard fit into that a little bit? We're tied to border security. The counter drug, last three years, we've interdicted 1.4 million pounds of uncut cocaine coming out of Colombia, destined for American streets. We've rolled up 1,800 illegal smugglers, brought them to the United States for prosecution. So. We're, we're an organization with broad authorities, and, uh, and we touch a lot of parts of society. Coast Guard Commandant Admiral Carl Schultz at this week's Sea Air Space Conference. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Still to come on Federal News Radio, it's back. Talk of a giant infrastructure spending package that would get many agencies busy. But first, blockchain technology is moving quickly into some of the government's most important niche applications. It's the Federal Drive with Tom Temin, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.